the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. You're listening to the Pastor Scott Show podcast. Have any questions or comments? Email Pastor Scott now at PastorScott at KKLA.com or tune in live weekdays from 3 to 5 p.m. And now, here's Pastor Scott. Good afternoon, ladies and gentlemen. Welcome to the Pastor Scott Show. Great to be with you today, as it is each and every day from 3 to 5. And uh, we talk about the issues of the day from a Christian perspective. Obviously, one of the largest issues of the day is what's happening in Israel. And have you ever wondered, you know, what are Christians doing in Israel? And how do Christians partner with Jewish people during this time or during times of any crisis anywhere? An organization that is a partner of us here at Salem is International Fellowship of Christians and and Jews. They've got a program on KKLA called Bless Israel at uh, 12 p.m. on Saturdays. Same program is on KPRZ in San Diego at 9 a.m. on Saturdays. With me is the president and CEO of the Fellowship of Christians and Jews, Yael Eckstein. Yael, welcome to the Pastor Scott Show. Thank you so much, Pastor Scott. It's an honor to be here with you. Well, thank you. Coming to me live from uh, Israel, so I really appreciate your time uh, during this time. Yeah, it's this is what's most important to be together in fellowship, to be sharing with each other what's happening in our countries and to build those strategic bonds of friendship and support for one another. So what's happening where you are right now in the country, in Israel? So you know, all of the news, I think, will be focused mostly on uh, what's happening in Gaza, of course, but there are still rockets flying and other tensions, of course, in, in Israel. What's uh, What's happening where you are? Well, something I think is really important to remember that I don't think most people realize is that Israel is the size of New Jersey. Yes. We are a country with 10 million citizens, and 2 million of those are Arab, Druze, Muslim, Bedouin, Christian, uh, over 20% minorities in Israel who have full and equal rights. And so we are a tiny country. So when we talk about what's happening on the border of Gaza, um, the farthest place in Israel is around two hours drive from there. So Mm. it's affecting everyone. There are rockets in Tel Aviv. There are rockets in Jerusalem. Uh, Right now, there are fires in northern Israel uh, from Hezbollah um, that they fired. And so in the past three weeks, we've had rockets from the the south, the Gaza Strip, the north, Syria and Lebanon, and even Yemen has sent over rockets and drones to attack Israel. So for a country that's the size of New Jersey, this is affecting everybody in a very deep way, not only because everyone knows and loves someone who was kidnapped or killed um, on that Saturday on October 7th, um, but because we continue to feel the rocket attacks, the um, tangible actions following those calls for our destruction that the terror groups surrounding Israel have been doing since 1948. That's right. I think people sometimes don't realize that with this terrorist attack, every single person in a country the size of Israel, every single person knows somebody, uh, if it's yeah. not them, who is uh, directly affected. Uh, yeah. It's a it's a major deal. Well, tell us a little bit about yourself, and then we want to talk about what the uh, fellowship uh, does together. So, Yael, how did you wind up in this role? 
Well, so my father, Rabbi Chiel Eckstein of Blessed Memory, started the International Fellowship of Christians and Jews 40 years ago. And so many people think that I was kind of born and bred to be in this role. Uh, But the truth is, up until I was around 20 years old, I didn't even really know what my father did for a living. Mm. (laughs) When I was growing up, it was so controversial. First of all, it was just a small organization. He built it from nothing. And when he started this new and what was seen as radical idea of Jews and Christians working together, he was ostracized in much of the Jewish world and much of the Christian world. It was a new idea that was scary to both. And so um, my father worked very, very hard to fulfill this, what he called a calling of bringing together God's children, just as it says in Psalm 133, how good and pleasant it is when brethren dwell together. And this was his calling. This was his life work. But he didn't want to put the burden on his children. He got death threats. He got he got ostracized. He got written up in newspapers. And he didn't want to put that on his children. So it was really only when I was 20 years old and came to Israel and started to see firsthand the work of the fellowship that I was blown away. And I looked at my father and I said, Abba, I have to be part of this. And he looked at me and he said, you're going to go to law school. <laughs> <laughs> And uh, he didn't want me to experience that same level of kind of personal price that he had to pay um, mm-hmm. to do something that that is so high profile, so hated by many. But um, I, from the second I saw it, I, I knew that this was prophetic. This is biblical prophecy coming to fruition. I was moved by it. I was led by it. And uh, and and I moved my way up from putting stamps on envelopes for minimum wage for a year and a half that my father thought that would make me want to go to law school um, to finally my father saying, this is my calling. I know the risks. I know the price. And I want to take it. And uh Worked side by side with him uh, for around 15 years till he suddenly passed away. And then the board of director voted me in uh, as, as president and CEO. So you uh, did you go to law school? Or you didn't go ultimately. I ultimately didn't go to law school. I ended up fo- following the path of my father. I yeah. have uh, I, I studied in college. I studied uh, uh, Jewish history and English literature um, and, and uh, sociology. But no, law school was not for me. <laughs> yeah, well, good for you. I went to one year of law school, and uh, that was it for me and became a pastor. Definitely the right decision. So, <laughs> A recovering litigator, they call it. Right, right. My dad yeah. said whenever I left law school that he thinks that's when I got saved. Okay. <laughs> you know, right? uh-huh, so, uh-huh. Um, you know, uh, you're listening to the Pastor Scott Show. My guest is Yael Eckstein. She is the president and CEO of the International Fellowship of Christians and Jews. And uh, tell us about the fellowship and the work that you do in general. And then I want to talk about, you know, after that, the work that's going on right now, obviously. So what does uh, this fellowship do? Well, everything that the fellowship does is rooted in the Bible. We are the largest philanthropic organization in Israel, representing millions of Christians around the world. And the programs that we have on the ground are based on three different areas. One is Aliyah, which is bringing the Jewish people home from all four corners of the earth. We're focused mostly on the former Soviet Union, so Ukraine, different Arab countries, so non-Western countries that we're bringing Jews home from, um, just as Isaiah and Jeremiah prophesied. 2,000 years ago, and it's 
Christians that are making this possible, which is so inspiring and and moving. Um, the second uh, program that we have is for poverty, to feed the hungry, clothe the naked, to focus on uh, the elderly and the orphans, just as the Bible outlines. And the third is the area of security, to be the watchman on the wall. The guardian of Israel neither slumbers nor sleeps. Comfort, comfort my people. That all these three different areas of programming are based on God's directive of where we are called, what charity is, what a fast is, and uh, we are uh, consumed by that work day and night. Mm. You know, when this crisis happened uh, after the terrorist attack, and we've been talking about it pretty regularly on our show, you know, one of the things that I think even for myself and for many of us became aware of is how ignorant we really are about Israel, about what's happening inside the country, what the country is like, what the current uh, situation is for Jews around the world, uh, even before, obviously, this terrorist attack. And you're right in the middle of it. What would you say is one of the biggest misconceptions that the world has um, about Israel and the work that you're doing? Well, I think that um, people say this beautiful tagline of free Gaza or free the Palestinians. And I don't think that they realize that what the Palestinians and the innocent civilians and what Gaza needs to be freed from, if you care about civilians, is from Hamas terror organization who's currently reigning over them with horror, terror, and death. Um, Hamas is a terror organization that took over when Israel, Israel used to have Jews in the Gaza Strip. And in this vision of peace and living side by side in unity and giving the Palestinians the first step to their own state, we gave them the Gaza Strip, which is a beautiful piece of land on the water, on the ocean that could have been just like the booming um, uh, tourism center of the Sinai Peninsula or any of the other Arab countries. And uh, there were Israel invested a lot of money in building greenhouses and leaving them all the different things that they would need to have a thriving economy and succeed. And uh, within the first week of Israel giving over that land, um, there were a lot of people there who wanted freedom, who wanted democracy, who wanted to see it be a beautiful, flourishing place. And Hamas terrorists took over killed them all, their own people, mm-hmm. knocked them off of rooftops, killing them, dragging them through the town. There weren't elections because they killed all the people who were going to go up against them. And since then, in 2005, they have been holding their own people hostage. Women don't have rights. There's no diversity. There's obviously no gay rights. There's no freedom. There hasn't been any elections. Um, and so when people say free Gaza, for us here in Israel, it's very funny. Like when you see, I saw the other day, like, like queers for Gaza. And it's like, they would kill you right. in a second. You know, they like, even if you showed your hair, they would kill you. You know, all these different, it, it, if it weren't really happening, it sounds like it would be, it would be one of those like Saturday night live skits, you yeah. know? Um, and so Israel's a democracy a freedom, freedom of minorities, freedom for everyone. And, um, and so it's just ironic that somehow Israel was attacked. We have, over 230 innocent people that were taken from their homes as hostages in the Gaza Strip. You're talking about nine-month-old babies who are still nursing. You're talking about elderly Holocaust survivors and 1,400 peace activists 
the people who they took and killed are people who are driving Palestinians from the border to Israeli hospitals to get medical care. They would bring them to their house to drink coffee. And these Palestinians that they were taking care of in this vision of peace and this beautiful vision of brotherhood, these these were actually terrorists who were mapping out the kibbutzim, the city, so that they could go and massacre everyone. And it's just, I think for the people in Israel, even though in Israel we have all different political views, it is infuriating and it just baffles us how somehow we have become the aggressors here right. <laughs> after what happened. I think what we're seeing, and we're seeing this certainly in the United States and we're seeing this in Western countries, is the extent of the reality of anti-Semitism, what it really is, yes. that it's it's more than just some sort of feeling against a group of people. It's action that's taken against a group of people uh, that is systemic. And that's part of the work that you guys are dealing with because at the International Fellowship of Christians and Jews, because Jews are being forced out of countries all around the world, actually, because of anti-Semitism. Yeah. And this is something I think that maybe people don't realize is going on. And that gets to uh, your work here. Uh, let's talk about uh, Ukraine, for example. My understanding is uh, the uh, fellowship helped take a lot of orphans out of Ukraine because of that war. Yeah, yeah. Well, I think what you just touched on is something that is the core of everything that's happening now, and that's anti-Semitism. Yeah. And anti-Semitism is not new. For the Jewish people, every generation, it's somehow reared its ugly head from the Nazis to the Inquisition to the, I mean, every generation has had its fair share of of, of anti-Semitism that expressed its way itself in different ways. And I think we were naive to think that this reality now is different, that because we're so educated and connected on social media and you see everything that's done, that anti-Semitism can't happen now. And for me, the way I look at it is that anti-Semitism is nothing new. I'm not surprised by the level of anti-Semitism. What surprises me and encourages me, I shouldn't say surprises me, but I should say what's different in this generation than any generation before is the millions of Christians who are boldly unapologetically standing up and saying, I stand with Israel. I stand with justice. I stand with God. I stand with life. Because we know the Corey Ten Boons. We know the righteous Gentiles during the Holocaust who, who, who risked their own life to save a Jewish families. And in Yad Vashem in Jerusalem, the Holocaust Museum, we remember many of those people. We even have a forest that's planted for the righteous Gentiles. But I look at what's happening today, and there isn't a small forest of righteous Gentiles. There isn't a small book that would be able to be filled with their stories. There is, it would have to take over the entire country if we planted a tree for every Christian that stands with Israel right now. And that's the story that's new, that Christians are standing with Israel. They are reading the scriptures, pray for the peace of Jerusalem, and they are doing that. I got a note from my friend Penny Nance, who's the president of uh, Concerned Women of America. And she said she reached out to all of her students and said, go join Israel rallies on your campus. And they wrote back and they said, there are none. And Penny said, okay, I understand the reason why there are none is because the Jews don't feel safe to have them. So you go out in the name of Christians and have pro-Israel rallies and let the Jews join you. And so that's what's new. That's what I find as, as the anti-Semitism is rising again 
okay, that's always happened. I'm not shocked by that. Right. But the fact that so many friends are standing up and saying, I'm a Christian, I stand with my brothers and sisters, the Jewish people in Israel, that's new. And I believe that was bringing so much joy to God. You mentioned how I think that's such an important time as this, that it yes. should always be a time to to stand up against anti, anti-Semitism, right? But I think that we are at a time when you don't really have a choice. I think that right now, mm. not that you should, right? But you, you, as Christians, you really have to stand up against this kind of hatred and and for our our Jewish uh, brothers and sisters who are persecuted. It's scary what's happening in our campuses. Um, and the there's ignorance, and then there's not ignorance, right? There's right. there's ignorance where I don't know what this thing means on the sign that I'm uh, ch- you know chanting. But then you learn yeah. what it means, and do you put the sign down? Do you stop chanting that, or do you keep going, right? And we're seeing some scary scary times here. I'm glad that 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 what you're seeing is Christians standing up. Uh, with you, and that's what your organization uh, does together. So, getting to some of the work that actually is done, um, Jews are are persecuted all around the world in different ways still, um, yes. and we definitely have seen that in uh, what's happening in Russia and Ukraine. So, in in Russia and Ukraine, the fellowship has been very active there because there's the Jews who remain in, for example, Ukraine around one hundred and fifty two hundred thousand are the Holocaust survivors or the next generation. And so when this war broke out, it was a huge message of support that it was Christians who came in as they're fighting another war, as they're being relocated again for the second time in their lives following the Holocaust from the same place, the same former Soviet Union. But the difference this time, once again, is Christians coming in and saying, here's food, here's uh, heat for the winter. The there's no support network in Ukraine. You don't have a government who's providing subsidies. You don't have a government who's providing housing. Even before the war, the elderly pension was the same as during times of communism, which was around $2 a day. But the prices are of Europe. You can't live on that. So the elderly are growing their own fruits and vegetables. They're picking nuts from the forest. But suddenly now these Holocaust survivors are 90 years old. They can no longer do that. That we saw a lot of Holocaust survivors dying. And so the fellowship brings them food for the winter and says, this is from Christians who love you. And so when the war broke out, we needed to get that message out. We had to save lives. We had to help people that we went in with uh, ambulances and volunteer doctors to literally evacuate sick Holocaust survivors from their homes that were under attack in eastern Ukraine or in Odessa would go in with the ambulance, take them out through Moldova, because in Ukraine, all the airports have been closed from the day the war began take them out through Moldova, and on a special medical flight, fly them to Israel. And so uh, we did this also for the orphans. The first day of the war, there were rockets that were hitting one of the children's homes that the fellowship sponsors there. And we got a call that they said, it's not safe. There are rockets flying everywhere. We have to leave. And they were on the road, on the run for three days. They got to the border. They're with 100 children and only around 10 or 15 adults um, that they took. Everyone who was over 12 years old and said, okay, you're responsible for one little kid. You're suddenly the adult. And they walked over the border in the snow, in the winter. 
And it was a miracle that they got to Israel. I was there to greet them with uh, uh, who was then Israel's prime minister, Naftali Bennett. And it was a huge celebration in Israel that, you know, following the Holocaust, it was so symbolic where the Jews had nowhere to go. Suddenly now there's a war. You have these children who are at risk and they're able to escape and come to Israel. And they resettled in Ashkelon, which is a beautiful southern Israel town, a thriving town with tens of thousands of people on the beach, beautiful location, full support. And they finally got settled with school and activities. And and when the war broke out on October 7th, Ashkelon, southern Israel, was uh, once again bombarded with rockets. And once again, we got that call, we have to leave. And so the fellowship said, we're here with you. Um, but actually, the home front command of the Israeli government said, it's not safe yet. You can't get in a bus and leave. There's too many rockets. You can't be on the road. You have to be in your bomb shelter. So for around two days, the children were in their bomb shelter. And the second we got the approval to move them to a different children's campus that the fellowship sponsors in central Israel, we brought them. So there were rockets falling all around, but thank God they arrived safely. And still now the rockets have reached central Israel. They're still going to their bomb shelter, but it's a little bit less often. That is a wild story. Just And it's so sad. I'm just thinking about these kids. This is their experience growing up is bombing in one town. They get moved to a nice place and then bombing again. Yeah. Uh, it's going to affect yeah. them their entire life, obviously. 100%. Yeah. We're getting psychological treatment for them also. And we're also trying to focus on this message, though, that will always be there for you. Yeah. There will always be Christians and Jews around the world that wherever you are, we'll make sure you're safe. My guest is Yael Eckstein. She is the president and CEO of the International Fellowship of Christians and Jews. The website is ifcj.org, ifcj.org. You can go there and learn more and also donate. Uh, do you have a minute to stay with me for another segment, or do you have to go? You're live from Israel, sure. so I want to respect your time. All right, we're going to Thank take a little so break. Much. We'll come back with Yael Eckstein, and uh, as the Pastor Scott Show continues, stay tuned. You're listening to the Pastor Scott Show podcast. Have any questions or comments? Email Pastor Scott now at pastorscott at kkla.com or tune in live weekdays from 3 to 5 p.m. Now, back to the show. Hi, everybody. Welcome back. Pastor Scott Show. Great to be with you. With me, live from Israel, is Yael Eckstein. She is the president and CEO of the International Fellowship of Christians and Jews. You can learn more about this organization at ifcj.org. Also, they have a show on uh, KKLA and KPRZ on KKLA in Los Angeles. It's at 12 p.m. It's called Bless Israel. And on Saturday at KPRZ in San Diego at 9 a.m., same program, Bless Israel. Uh, Yael, welcome back. Um, and uh, we've been talking about the work that you guys do. Tell me about what it was like when this attack happened on October 7th. Uh, wow. I mean, I can't even imagine that day yeah. from your perspective. It was um, – it changed this country probably forever in mm-hmm. ways that we still don't fully realize because yeah. we're we're still in it. As we're having this interview, I'm still listening with one ear for the Code Red siren that I'll have – exactly 60 seconds to go down into my bomb shelter. And there have been quite a few meetings that I started off Zoom meetings with 15 people. And at some points, there was only one or two people on because everyone else had to be in their bomb shelters. So that's the reality right now. But but the time that it changed was on October 7th on Saturday, that we heard the uh, about the attacks, that there were full 
parts of Israel under Hamas rule, under terror rule, that there were hundreds of people killed, that there were people kidnapped, and that terrorists were still roaming Israel. And so the fellowship has been in the area of security for since 2006, since the last, the second Lebanon war. And we've built over uh, 3,500 bomb shelters, and we've equipped hospitals, and we've donated bulletproof ambulances and bulletproof emergency vehicles. And so immediately we started to mobilize by calling all of our partners and getting our volunteers on the ground to be able to do whatever they can as soon as we heard a need. And that was the moment that I realized the huge impact of this terror attack that only was discovered by the rest of Israel and the world a day or two later, that suddenly the helpers and the responders became the victims. We tried to call our partner who is the head of welfare in the Shkol region, who we've worked with for a long time. She was kidnapped by Hamas. She was in the Gaza Strip. We called the head of security of a different region who we've been working with for the past 15 years. He was one of the first fatalities. He was killed while trying to protect the people in his town. We called someone from the municipality of a city down south that we've worked with forever. Their family answered and said that they were killed. We started looking for the elderly who we care for and bring food for on a regular basis. We pulled up the list of the 17,000 people across Israel, elderly, who receive food every single week from the fellowship. These are Israel's weakest citizens, over 80 years old, no family support, Holocaust survivors. We start calling them the first two people that we called were killed. And so suddenly you realize it's just me that's left. If I don't go in the field right now and help... There is no help there. The municipal social workers who are usually the first ones to get to the scene of a rocket attack, it's their homes who were hit. The first responders who are the ones who are protecting their citizens from the terrorists, it's them who were killed. And so the fellowship, as there were still uh, terrorists roaming the city, got food, got water, and went around to most vulnerable people, delivering it to the bomb shelters. We took out all of our uh, uh, reserves of bulletproof vests and distributed it to all the people who were going down south to replace those first responders who were killed. No one else was able to do this. No one else had bulletproof vests. I remember that first day I was watching on primetime TV. They were reporting live from down south and it was nobody knew what was going on. They're talking to someone who's driving to southern Israel. And all of a sudden, terrorists start shooting at him. And he puts on his bulletproof vest and gets out of his car, lies on the ground. He's in a live firefight on TV, on live TV. And he's wearing a vest that the International Fellowship of Christians and Jews just gave to him. His life is being saved on live TV from Christians around the world. And when uh, after 30 hours, when the people who were in those front kibbutzim, that one in four people were killed or kidnapped from those towns, the ones who were freed after 30 hours, they were freed, but they didn't have shoes. They didn't have food. They didn't have water. They didn't eat or drink for 30 hours that they were locked in their bomb shelters. The fellowship was there to give them the food and water, the first ones when they got freed from their bomb shelters. And so it made me realize this sort of responsibility that the fellowship has on the ground in Israel, that when you have partners in every area, when you have volunteers in every area, when you are already meeting the needs of the poverty, suddenly you have to be able to shift during times of war to continue to feed the hungry, clothe the naked, shelter the poor under any circumstance. That's an incredible, incredible story. I was thinking 
you know, I deal a lot with different mission organizations. Uh, none of them are handing out bulletproof vests. Yeah. You know, and yeah. going into uh, maybe someplace, but uh, not like that. You know, thank you uh, for doing that and for everything that the International Fellowship of Christians and Jews is doing. Uh, this is the Pastor Scott Show. My guest is Yael Eckstein. She's the president and CEO of the International Fellowship of Christians and Jews and who uh, we are a partner with here at KKLA and KPRZ in Salem. And uh, you've been in our prayers and, you know, obviously our conversations. And it's good to stand with you. Uh, for Israel at this time, and we thank you for your work. How can we best help? You know, how can, if somebody's listening, and how can we best help the work that you're doing right now? Pastor Scott, thank you so much. Um, I would say first and foremost, I believe in the power of prayer. So don't stop praying, please, for me, for my family, for the people of Israel. I continue to pray for you as well. We need each other now more than ever. So continue to pray. And if doing something like delivering bomb shelters. We've placed 30 bomb shelters on the northern and southern border in the past two weeks. So placing bomb shelters, delivering food to elderly in their bomb shelters, delivering those bulletproof vests, those are the greatest needs right now, those three things. Mm. And so if you're led, uh, your listeners are led to to join us in helping to provide those life-saving gifts to the people of Israel, you can go to ifcj.org. That's ifcj.org. And everything we do, I like full transparency. And so you can follow everything what we're doing every single day on the ground in Israel on my social media, Yael Eckstein on Instagram, Facebook, LinkedIn. And you can see pictures, videos, real-time updates from the ground of how Christians around the world are saving the lives of Jews in Israel. Do you post regularly on those uh, sites? Very regularly. I really, it's very important to me that people aren't just giving and trusting us with their money, which is a huge honor, but that they actually see the difference they're making, that we are, uh, uh, that they're planting good seed into good ground. And so every day I'm posting updates on new projects of the fellowship that we're developing and implementing every single day. So I think it's a fascinating thing to watch where we're delivering the vests. The hospitals are saying thank you to Christians for enabling them to have the, for example, right now down south, there was four direct hits on a hospital, um, Barzilai Hospital. Thank God just recently, the fellowship made the NICU and labor and delivery unit bulletproof and bombproof. We made it completely bombproof. And that saved the lives of all the people in there, the NICU babies and the labor and delivery women. And so uh, I got a video from the CEO who was who, who explained we had a direct hit and you saved the lives of these people. Um, so that's on social media. You could just see everything, how the people of Israel are so appreciative. You know, I think that it, the social media aspect of all this is interesting because there, you know, there's a lot of fake stuff on there. And unfortunately, we've done some you know discussion of how to navigate that. But I also think there's a part of this that is helping Israel because I think we're able to see, and some of it I wish people didn't see because you can't unsee it, the brutality of what happened. But I do think it would have been hidden from the world, but for what is able to come out in social media. Um, And on the positive side, to be able to look at your sites and to see the work that's being done to really care for people, I think also is very positive. Uh, in yeah. the sense that there is good that can be done here and there is something for us to get involved in. Yes, 100%. Even with the videos, Pastor Scott, Israel, people questioned if it really happened. Right. And Israel was put in a very difficult position because um, there were they didn't want to publish the most gruesome 
videos mm-hmm. of a baby being cut open from the mother's womb, beheaded, and the yeah. mother burned, just one example. They didn't, out of respect for the families, they didn't want to publish those. And out of respect to the viewers, you know, that that they don't want, Israel's, Israel's not barbaric like that. And so people, even with all the video circulating, still questioned it. And so what Israel decided to do was to get um, a group of journalists, around 100 journalists, that they would show these authenticated videos and pictures to. And a lot of the journalists left in the middle, left crying. They couldn't even watch it. So, um, yes, social media, you see how important it is in this, that if with the pictures and videos, people are questioning if it happened, I can't even imagine without it. That's right. That's right. Well, uh, can I pray for you before we go and, and uh, your organization? And uh, you. my guest is Yael, Ek- Yael Ekstein. She is the president and CEO of the International Fellowship of Christians and Jews. And uh, there's so much more, really, that we can talk about. So hopefully we'll be able to talk again uh, soon and talk about this. But uh, let me pray for you. God, I thank you for this opportunity you know, it, and it sounds funny to say that, but but that we have an opportunity to help people who are in need, and in particular the fellowship of Christians and Jews. And and I pray, Lord, that we would recognize the suffering and that we would be discerning of what is true on these things. And we thank you for Yael and uh, the her ministry, the International Fellowship of Christians and Jews. We ask that you would protect her and protect everybody who works for them, all the missionaries. Amen. We pray for everybody who is being helped. We pray for a swift end to these hostilities and an end to the, the actions of terrorists um, yes. in all of this. We We pray, Lord, for... Um, the hope that we have in you to be seen by by everyone uh, in all of this. We thank you for our time today. In, in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Hey, yeah, well, thank you for being with me. You're amazing. Thank you for being with me. And uh, I am so sorry that you're going through this. At the same time, I'm glad you're there. Clearly a call in your life uh, for this time. You know, I think uh, we don't know where this is going to go. But it's like you said, it's not surprising. Yeah. Um, but hopefully at the end of the day, there is uh, truth that will prevail over uh, the philosophies of Hamas and other groups, uh, oh, the status of Israel and the need uh, for Israel, for uh, Jews all over the world uh, to have a yes. homeland. Uh, Amen. We thank and you. Thank you for your support, for your wisdom, for speaking the truth. I know today sometimes speaking the truth can be uh, vulnerable. You can get hated for it. And the fact that we have friends who are willing to put themselves in that potential line of fire um, on the social scene, on the boycott scene, on, on in order to say, I stand with Israel, something that we don't take lightly, and the Jewish people and the people of Israel will never forget. So thank you, Pastor Scott. You're welcome. My guest has been Yael Eckstein. She is the president and CEO of the International Fellowship of Christians and Jews. You can learn more and uh, participate. You can donate, learn more at ifcj.org. You can also listen to Bless Israel Saturdays at 12 p.m. on KKLA and uh, Saturdays at 9 a.m. on KPRZ in San Diego. And uh, I really encourage you to go to ifcj.org, check it out, and uh, it's a great way to get involved. And you can follow Yael Eckstein on her socials. It's Yael Eckstein, right? That's how... Y-A-E-L-E-K-S-T-I-E-N? Yeah, yeah, you'll find it like that. Yeah, E-C-K-S-T-E-I-N, but you'll find it. All right, we'll find it on there. All right, (laughs) Gail, thank you for being with us today. Thank you, Pastor Scott. God bless you. All right, God bless you. All right, we'll be back as the Pastor Scott Show continues in just a moment. Stay tuned. 
You're listening to the Pastor Scott Show podcast. Have any questions or comments? Email Pastor Scott now at pastorscott at kkla.com or tune in live weekdays from 3 to 5 p.m. Now, back to the show. Welcome back, everybody. Pastor Scott Show. Great to be with you today. Uh, You know, lots going on in the world today and coming up here at 5 o'clock. And you can listen on our sister station, AM 870, The Answer. Uh, is the Republican presidential debate. And, uh, you know, is uh, are we still having a presidential election next year? Joe Biden is very much alive. Okay, so Joe Biden is still involved. And uh, the Republican debate is an interesting thing because Donald Trump's not on the stage, and he's clearly the one ahead, right? And unless something changes, he will be the nominee. I think something could change. And obviously the interesting thing I think that they're going to address tonight. I haven't been all that interested in a lot of the answers and the first two Republican debates in a sense because you realize that unless something changes, none of these people are going to be the candidates. So it's a odd, it's a very odd thing. Remember, if you remember four years ago, there was kind of the, was it four years ago? No, I think it was eight years ago. Yeah, eight years ago. There were so many Republicans running for office that they actually had to have two debates and there was an A team and a B team. Right. There were so many people and you would watch two different and the B team, you know, debate was the people who didn't quite have the polling and uh, they were really trying to get on the A team. So the the A team would have been the the top polling people. And there was, you know, nine or ten of those people. And then there were seven or eight of the B team. So the next night there would be the same debate, but a different crowd of people. There were so many people running. And when you were watching the B team is what I'm calling it. It was interesting, but you knew that we're not probably none of these people are going to make it. I think that the only person who actually made it from the B team to the A team was Carly Fiorina. Remember her? You you may not remember her because uh, she made it, but that's as far as she went. Uh, Donald Trump, of course, won all of that with his nicknames and whatever, and then later became president. This time, uh, it's kind of like watching the B team, you know, with, I think, better candidates in general, but... You know, whatever Ron DeSantis says and whatever Nikki Haley says and whatever uh, Tim Scott says, Chris Christie and uh, who am I forgetting? There's another person who's on that stage. Uh, uh, oh, uh, Vivek, Vivek Ramaswamy, whatever they say, you know, it's interesting, but it's not necessarily meaningful unless somehow somebody defeats Donald Trump with all of that. But uh, at least up until this point. Now, I'm wondering how they're going to respond. Clearly, what they're going to do is try to say that yesterday's Republican losses, and it was a loss nationally in just about every place for the Republicans in the places where there were elections yesterday, uh, and a series of losses, by the way. Republicans have either underperformed or just outright lost in every election since 2017. Um and uh, they're probably going to try to blame Donald Trump for that, and they're tr- going to try to make a point with that, or they're going to blame other things. I think what they're going to end up talking about, and this is where I'm, I'm particularly interested in this debate, is they're going to talk about abortion and how you talk about that in this post-Roe world where I don't think the Republicans have figured that out. Because the interesting thing is when you look at the losses that happened yesterday for Republican candidates, in most of those cases, there was an abortion issue either specifically on the ballot or it was part of the campaign. Okay, so an Ohio ballot measure that was supportive of abortion rights in the state of Ohio uh, won, won by a large margin. Now, that 
the interesting thing, issue one, as it was called, always reminds me of that old show. Remember the McLaughlin group, John McLaughlin? Issue one! Used to do that whole shtick. I don't know if anybody remembers that. Anyway, issue one was not just about abortion, but what they tacked into it was fertility care and uh, care for moms who have miscarriages and a whole lot of other things that nobody's against. But they tied abortion into that. So it was a crafty um, but deceptive political move to do that um, to say, because then you could say, well, if you're against issue one, then you must be against fertility care or you must be against moms who have miscarriages or you must be against. Right. That's the the political game. But it still is in a string of abortion measures where the pro-abortion side uh, won. And it happens in a state that Donald Trump won by 30 points. Um, was 30, maybe he won by like 15 or 20 points in Ohio. He won Kentucky by 30 points, where in Kentucky every Republican won except for in the governor's race, where the governor won by uh, five or six points. And part of his campaign, in fact, his brutal campaign ads were about abortion and the uh, promise of severe restrictions that supposedly would have happened if the Republican candidate would have won. The governor of Virginia ran on the idea of he wasn't running for a reelection himself. He still has two years left of his term, but he was running to try to win control of the Virginia uh, state Senate House. He already had the um, state house on the uh, their their house side of it. Uh, and instead, he lost. He lost both. So Democrats took full control of the Virginia State House, and people I don't think even saw that coming necessarily. This is what I think. Not just Republicans, but I think Democrats have to have a better message too. I don't know that they're interested right now. The Republicans have to do it. This is Kaylee McEnany uh, responding to the severe losses yesterday. On the issue of abortion in Ohio tonight, we continue the losing streak in the pro-life movement. Every ballot initiative has been lost post-Dobbs for the pro-life movement. As a party, Sean, we must, we must not just be a pro-baby party. That's a great thing. We must be a pro-mother party. We need a national strategy. And I talked to Mike Johnson about this. We'll air that tomorrow on Outnumbered. There's legislation we must put forward as a party to support women. And it's out there. Senator Rubio's laid it out. But we've got to get Trump behind it, the Speaker of the House behind it, and have a national strategy to help vulnerable women because the results of next year's election could be determined by that. Yeah, I agree with that. I think that... There are so many other pieces. Now that Roe versus Wade is gone and each state votes for whatever their abortion rules are, there are so many other things that can be done. And, I, and I'll tell you what, it's always things like this are always an issue of the heart anyway, that if you want legislation to be passed in a certain direction on a moral issue, then it's going to be passed in the direction ultimately most of the time of where people's hearts are. Sometimes it's because people aren't paying attention. So we're seeing a lot of that in schools and other stuff. Hopefully we're paying attention now. But a lot of people are paying attention to the abortion debate. Although I would put this on the on – the, I, I want to make sure to say this. We have these decisions that are being made and still the majority of people are not voting, including the majority of Christians aren't voting. So whatever you want to say about it politically – it's sort of, uh, you know, we're missing this big issue that most Americans and most Christian people don't vote at all, not the majority, um, more, less than half, especially in off-year elections like this one. They don't vote. So to complain about the results is 
you're you're missing something if you're not pointing out that almost half more than half of the people sometimes three quarters of the people don't actually even bother to vote you don't have a lot of you know that's the bigger problem i think if everybody voted i think if it's more like 80 percent of the people vote i think a lot of these things go the other way because most people are want some restrictions to abortion the majority of people, according to polls, say that uh, abortions through the first trimester they would be okay with, but even not most, you know, it's most people, but it's not everybody. It's like 57%. But the majority of people after that say, no, there should be restrictions. But I think that on top of that, I think people across the board, even both parties, probably would agree with legislation that does other things that would actually functionally reduce abortions. Tomorrow, I want the House of Representatives passing uh, legislation for men to pay women child support from the moment of conception, legislation to make the child tax credit apply to the unborn, legislation to have women uh, have access to the supplemental food and nutrition program up to two years after childbirth. These are things that can be done today that will make a difference. But until we own this issue as a party, we will lose again and again and again. She might be right about that for Republicans, but I do think that she's right that that some or all of those things can be done now. And I think that there's bipartisan support, maybe not in the Congress because of the politics of it, but I think regular people, you know, Democrats, Republicans, independents, people who vote and people who think through these things would agree that, hey, you know what, we should hold fathers accountable. Uh, at conception. I think that I think that we should do that right now. And you know what happens is that reduces a lot of abortions because often the abortions are done because of fear or because of a lack of support, a lack of finances, a, a lot of uh, just frustration and fears about the future. And the father's not around. He's gone. He's responsible uh, for the whole thing. And uh, that that's a big part of it. There's a lot more to talk about that. We'll talk about it more tomorrow as we see what uh, comes about in this debate. But, um, you know, that's, I guess, what I'm looking for is something interesting. Is there going to be somebody who says something that is interesting that pushes forward an issue in the new era of conversation that we need to have about it? And you have to reject the old conversation, not reject the convictions. I don't mean that. But I mean that in a world where people are going to vote on this issue now, which has not been the world for 50 years, you're going to have to deal with something positive and say, what are you for? What are the things that we can do to actually help women in this situation? Anyway, that's what I'm looking forward to in uh, the debate to see if they say anything. Maybe they won't, and uh, we'll talk about that tomorrow as well. All right, everybody, this is the Pastor Scott Show. You can follow me at Pastor Scott Show on your social media, Facebook, Twitter, or Instagram. Give me a follow right now. Pastor Scott Show, and you can get the podcast of this episode and all of them by looking for The Pastor Scott Show wherever you get your social media. All right, everybody, have a great night. We'll see you tomorrow from 3 to 5. Good night. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. 
with in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records of the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com, salemnow.com.